Welcome to the Property CEO Podcast, your inside track to the world of property with your hosts, Ian Child and Richie Clapson. Hello and welcome to the Property CEO Podcast. My name's Ian Child and I'm here with Richie Clapson. Hello everyone. Now in this episode we go right into the coalface of what property development is is all about, don't we? That's right. And we get the uh, inside track for one of our favourite contractors. We do. So we get to see what uh, we should and shouldn't be doing when it comes to hiring a contractor and making the project go really smoothly. Sounds great. Really looking forward to that. So uh, uh, have we had a good week so far, do we think? Uh, I think we've had a pretty good week, to be fair, all things considered. I mean, we even finally managed to get our publicity pictures uh, taken, oh, yes. which, uh, you know, it's taken us about two months to arrange, which, uh, yeah, it's a bit of a result, really. Yes, that was, uh, it was quite an enlightening experience, wasn't it? What do you mean enlightening? In what way were you, uh, were you thinking? Well, you know, it's just funny how, how some people can, well, I guess they, they kind of change when the, when the camera's on them. You know, you suddenly see a whole new personality come through. A bit weird. Really? I didn't notice. Well, no, I mean, you, you wouldn't have done because, you know, my, my personality didn't didn't change. What? You, you say that mine did? Well, maybe just, uh, you know, what? a bit. Really? In what way? I, I don't know. I mean, no, nothing, absolutely nothing major. I mean, you just kind of notice these little things. Yeah, go on then. Spell it out. In what way was I different in front of the camera to what I'm uh, usually on? Um... Forget it. It's absolutely not important. You were absolutely fine. And the photos, they look no, no, terrific. No, come on. Out with it. <laughs> I, I knew you are itching <laughs> to get it out. And so let's just cut to the chase, shall we? You know, in what way was I different? Well, I just noticed that you happened to be a little bit more um, highly strung than usual. So why? What did, I, what did I do? Well, do you remember that slightly awkward moment when the, the photographer suggested you might want to stand on a box? <laughs> I just thought you could have handled that I don't know, a little bit, little bit better, if I was being critical. <clears throat> yeah, but look, come on, hold on a second. Just because one of us is a normal height and yeah. the other one is absolutely gargantuan, <laughs> I thought that uh, he was being rather insensitive to your feelings, if I'm honest. You know, it was almost as if he, uh, if he had it in for tall people. I just, I just couldn't be doing with that. I'm afraid I just saw red. Okay. I felt for you. Okay, uh, that's quite interesting. I sort of read it slightly differently, if I'm honest. I thought you were... Unhappy because he didn't have the right size box for you. Look, look well, the, he, he had one that was about two inches tall, which frankly was never going to make you look normal sized. And, <laughs> and the other one, the other thing, I mean, that was a flipping great tea chest, which which made me look about a foot taller than you. So I wasn't happy, but because, you know, I felt bad for you. So, you know, it, it's funny until you're, you're in that situation, you don't appreciate how difficult being, you know, unnaturally tall can be. It, it really gave me a different perspective, really. You know, I, I've never really thought of <laughs> six foot two being unnaturally tall before. Well, yeah, look, I read somewhere that the average height for a man is, uh, I think it's five foot four. <laughs> so I think it's fair to say that you're a bit of a freak show, if I'm honest. Five foot four? Where did you read that? Have you been reading the Beano again? No, no, it's a well-known fact. Right. Well, um, well, that explains it then. It's... Um, it's a shame, actually, because I, th- I thought the tea chest shots look, uh, look actually look pretty good. Well, the photographer said it looked like uh, a, a ventriloquist holding a dummy, <laughs> so we so we couldn't really use them. Which one were you? I don't know. I mean, he didn't say, to be fair. <laughs> well, we did get some decent solo shots as well, which was good. Yeah, that was the awkward bit. I hadn't realised, uh, you know, quite how much uh, patience you need to have, uh, you know, to be a photographer, to have to take people's pictures. What do you mean? 
Well, you know, you've got to admit, you, you were, I mean, quite the artistic director, weren't you? Let's do it this way. Let's face that way. Jackets on, jackets off. <laughs> At one point, you even did the whole leaning against the wall and pointing into the distance. And, you know, it was all a bit embarrassing, really. It's, a, fo- it's a photo shoot. Which is, what did you think we were going to do? Like, turn up, two clicks, and then we'd be off down the pub. I wanted to make sure we had loads of different shots... Basically, so you wouldn't have to do another shoot for a while because I know how they make you all highly strung and emotional. I wonder why. So tell me, tell me this, okay? Uh, have we got a new clothing line coming out that I don't know about? What do you mean? Well, look, all that posing stuff you were doing, I thought maybe we had a, a property CO for men catalogue <laughs> it coming out in the offering you just hadn't told me about. Look, I told you to bring a costume change so that we could do more shots. And you didn't. Well, I did. I just didn't quite bring as many costumes as you. Oh, well, that's true. In fact, do you remember exactly how many clothing um, items that you brought along with you? That will be just the one then. So? And and do you recall what you changed into? I put a shirt on, a new shirt, as I recall. Yeah, and what colour was it? I don't know, blue with checks, I think. Which just happened to be exactly the same colour and design as the shirt that you've just taken off. I think it had a, a very slightly smaller check. I mean, what was the point of that? You know, you're going... You're, gonna, you're aiming for a trademark shirt look, because if you are, I think it might, it might have been done before. OK, look, I, I didn't realise that, uh, you know, what was you know what is you meant when you said bring a change of clothes? I thought you meant we'd be getting all hot and sweaty under the lights and we need to change into something fresh. So I made sure I had a, a similar shirt so that, you know, I had some continuity going Sorry, on. Sorry, why did you think you'd be getting all hot and sweaty? <laughs> Oh, what sort of photo shoot? I don't know, but sometimes those lights, they could be pretty fierce. Anyway, uh, you know, you on the other hand, well, you you took the costume change into a whole new level. I couldn't believe it. When you you wheeled in a blooming suitcase and then uh, set up a temporary dressing room in the corner. It wasn't a suitcase. It was a suit carrier. Big difference. Massive difference, in fact. Suitcase. And And at the end of the day, I mean... It's just about being professional. So I go into the changing room and transform from, you know, business casual to jeans and a shirt for the next set of pictures. (laughs) And then you went into the changing room and came out looking exactly the same. Tonight, Matthew, I'm going to be exactly the same as I was before. I actually lost a fiver to the photographer playing spot the difference when you came out. (laughs) Well, look, if it wasn't bad enough that you turned turned into into London Fashion Week, you suddenly produced a whole load of makeup. I mean, what was that all about? One minute I'm slipping into a fresh shirt and the next I'm getting assaulted by a makeup brush. It wasn't my makeup. The photographer came up with the, the, the makeup thing. He said it was, um, he was getting a bit of a glare. Oh, what do you mean? Is that getting a glare? Where, where was that from? There weren't any windows. Well, you know, I think one of us was, what can we say, reflecting oh, oh, a little yeah. in the light. Was it, was, it, was it your nose? What? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's it. That's why he started dabbing your forehead with a, with a powder brush. It's because my nose was too shiny. Well, yeah, really? I mean, that, that's why I thought it was a bit weird. I guess, uh, you know, it must be one of those tricks of the trade. <sighs> anyway. I thought the end <laughs> photos looked fantastic. Oh, Although do. I've noticed you um, you don't tend to smile that much, do you? What? When I'm when I'm with you or just in <laughs> photographs? <laughs> no, you're you're normally very smiley when we're out and about, but then you do the whole kind of I don't know, it's that brooding thing in photos, like you're about to tell someone off. Yeah, I know, I can't help it. It comes from watching too many sort of, you know, westerns as a kid. You know, the whole Steve McQueen look, I guess that's what it is. You know, it's uh, it's just the look I go for in- instinctively. You know, when I see a camera lens, that's just what I do. Right. Are you, um, you sure you're not confusing Steve McQueen with Eli Wallach? Who? Uh, the manner. Anyway, 
All good. We can now look forward to the photos hitting the newsstands in a few weeks' time. There'll be me smiling in my business casuals and you grimacing in the same shirt you always wear, looking like you've just trodden something. It will be absolutely fantastic. Anyway, I guess it's high time. We stopped talking about photo shoots and started talking about what we're really here to discuss, which is um, Mark Clegg from CDM Contractors. That's it. And this is going to... Um this is going to be a three three part series, uh, mainly because Mark just talks so much. Um, once you got him started, he just wouldn't stop. And who was interviewing him? Uh, I was interviewing him. All oh, right, I could so stop. Uh, try to control him. But uh, uh, we asked Mark, and the theme for the interview was what your contractor really thinks about you. And uh, it was great. I mean, it, it, we, we did just keep the tape rolling because there was some really good information coming out. And so what we decided to do was split it into, into three interviews. So, so this is the first part, and uh, we'll have a listen to, uh, to what Mark has to say. So, um, yeah, good, uh, good day to you all. We've, uh, we've got Mark Legg here from CDM Contractors, and Mark and I are just sat having a bit of a chat. And we're going to be just talking about what are the five common things that you see new developers get wrong and no better person to ask than Mark who's sat here. Mark is, uh, is a contractor um, based down here on the south coast and uh, he will certainly get more than his fair share of developers who do things wrong. So Mark, um, uh, hello to you. Um, hello there Richie, thank you for um, inviting me uh, to, onto your podcast today. That's a pleasure, I'm sure you've, uh, you've got something useful, useful to add in here. So Maybe then uh, we'll let Mark take us through the sort of the first key thing that you think uh, developers uh, get wrong, particularly new developers, so we can try and educate our audience a bit. Okay, so so what I see quite often with new developers is is quite often they've uh, they've had they've had some form of education. They're obviously they're quite new to it. They've had some form of education and they understand why they're going into development, yep. yeah, and yep. what they want to get out of development. Uh, but they don't necessarily always have that plan. So quite often, they they come in, they they found a property, they know the numbers that they're going that they're going to secure the property for. What the purchase numbers? The, the, yeah. the purchase numbers, and they they know what their what their market value is going to be. Yeah, yeah. So quite often they're, they're just driven by that. They know what the market value is going to be. So this is what we'd often turn to as the gross development value. The gross, the yeah, the GDV, yeah. yeah. Quite often the GDV. Um, and then what they don't have from there is the plan of how they're actually going to deliver this project. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So and and then what I, what I say is they don't always understand the build process. And what I, what I mean by understanding the build process is if they understand that there's two sides to construction. So there's what we call the pre-construction phase and the construction sure. phase. Um, quite often, what a new developer will do is they will they will come and ask you for what's known as a rough order of cost. That rough order of cost can be plucking a figure out of the air. And it's guided by what they want the cost to be rather than what it's actually going to be. So what we talk about is going through a process of elimination. Mm-hmm. So when we're in what we call the pre-construction phase, so before a project goes live, there's there's a process that needs to be followed. And, and, it, and, and in order for them to get a robust cost, we need, we need to work through the pre-construction phases, so it's dependent on the design information that they provide to us, yeah? the design yep. that they'll yep. get from their design team and from their architects, the information provided from the planning officers, structural engineers' reports, um, they may have specialist surveys, asbestos surveys, depending on the year of the building, um, 
electrical and mechanical surveys, all of these condition reports, yep, yep. that this information hinges on the price that we can provide. And when you're talking about um, pre-construction, and you said before you actually start, this is before you've even agreed a, a contract sum with them, let alone start. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. So, so quite often, what what we what we get is with a new developer. Quite often, they come to us. They've 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 normally brought a, they've brought a premises. Uh, they know what they want to get it for on the market, and they've got in their head a figure that they want to deliver the build for but they don't understand the process, what they need to go through to deliver that build. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so they come to their contractors and they may go out to a tender process where they'll go out and see three or four different contractors. But without giving those contractors the set of guidelines to follow of what they're going to provide their price on, which is this information that I spoke about yep, you would get through yep. the pre-construction phases, without giving them that information, you're never going to compare apples with apples with the yep. contractor's price. So you're never going to get a robust tender price back from anybody. So you end up then, you could end up with a, uh, a series of prices back from, say, three or four contractors, which could all be wildly different. Yeah, yeah. And you actually don't know w w which one to choose. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. You, may have, uh, you may have contractors that are coming in cheap. Yeah. They're coming in cheap to win the price, to win the job, and they may be looking to build the cost up later on. There, there may be contractors that are just completely misinterpreted um, your requirements. Yep. Um, there may be contractors that just aren't that competent in, in their own estimating abilities. Given, if they were given a, a, a full tender, yeah, a full tender that goes out to the, to the different contractors, it's normally written by a building surveyor. Yeah. And in, in that tender, you will have all the uh, pre-construction information. You would have uh, a detailed scope of works. Yep. That would be accompanied by a specification. So we all know that's what you're going to do, and these are the products that you're going to be using. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is this is the developer specifying all the individual elements of a project. All the, so your kitchens, your bathrooms, your tiling. If we're talking about a residential scheme, for instance. If you're talking about a residential scheme, for instance, yeah. So what? What that does, if you give that tender information out, it gives the ability for all contractors to price competitively. And if they're a competent contractor, they should all be there and thereabouts because they are pricing apples with apples. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So you'll and what you get back from them then is a fully itemized price document. Yeah. You can look at one and see if anything wildly varies because if they're a competent contractor that have You've done your due diligence with this contractor in order for them to be invited to tender with the project. So, you, so really, what we're saying to start with, you've got to have a list of competent contractors. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. We talk about due diligence on our course of your contractors. Yeah. So, really, that's absolutely essential to to make sure your list of contractors you're going to are your approved supply chain. Yeah, partners, and yeah. they're all competent, and, and you know then that you're going to get the the prices which can be comparable. You should be able to look at the tender summary. Yeah. And if, if they widely vary, you should be able to talk to the contractors and see why they vary. Yeah. Because you're comparing apples with apples. You should be able to look in if they're reasonable, if they say reasonable, sorry, if they're, if they're a professional outfit, which they would be because you've already vetted them, they've, yeah. they've, they've been approved and joined you. Like CDM contractors, one assumes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah one would assume. Yeah. So the margins are you all around. You noticed there that he didn't say definitely, he just said one would assume. So we'll, <laughs> we'll make your own mind up on that, people. <laughs> So the margins should all be there and thereabouts. Yeah. Okay. 
So, th so this, uh, this first point, which is lack of understanding uh, of the build process of what's required during pre-construction is, is absolutely key. You see, you see a lot of new developers just coming to you and they've not fully understood that process at all. They've not fully understood that process at all, so they don't have a clear plan of what it actually mm. takes. So it, what, what they really need is a step-by-step -step guide to show them from, okay, you've completed on this project, or you may not have completed, they may have just exchanged on it, yeah. they've offered on it, of what information is required to get you a robust price back from your contractor where you know yeah. that you can do your own due diligence and know that you're getting good value for money because either you've gone out to the market or you've been through this process with your contractor, the process of elimination to make sure that you've dotted all the I's and crossed all the T's before you even accept that price, place your order with the contractor and enter into the mobilisation period. What's the implication then of people getting this wrong? So you've got this lack of understanding of the build process. So people come to you. So if they come to you as a contractor, you, you clearly are obviously trying to help and educate them. Yeah. I'm guessing one of the implications is that it significantly delays their potential start on site, yeah. which can obviously affect funding costs for a project because your fund is you know, ticking away at every yeah. cost every week. What other implications? Do you see people actually um, trying to start a contract, trying to force a start on a contract because they didn't expect all this time and you know, they've got a time pressure on them? A absolutely. And uh, we've, we've fallen victim to this one quite a few times. Well, you as a contractor? We have. as a contractor, yeah, yeah. Uh, on a number of occasions. So we, we meet, a, a, it could be a newbie developer, or they, it could be that um, sometimes it could be a private client that's bought a big property and they don't understand what goes in with it. So, so either way, but we've fallen, we've fallen victim here quite a few times where they come along and they've completed on this project, they've got some money, they're eager to do it. We've even seen people, they've chucked in their day job, they're going at this full time and they just want to start on site. Yeah. Now, yeah. We, we want to secure that. And what we do know is, although there's a process that needs to be followed, that sometimes the client is so eager to get on, if we don't work with them to mobilise and get on site ASVP, the likelihood is that they're going to go somewhere else. So commercially, you're trying to secure so the project. We're trying to secure yeah. the project, and quite often the the words I've heard um, I hear time and time over is when I say to them, I try, I always try to advise that we go through this process of elimination, and ideally we would like a mobilisation. Yeah, dependent on the size of the development. It's normally two to yeah. four weeks. So that's um, sometimes you wouldn't always have um, a four contract place, but what we, you might have is what, what we call a, a letter of intent. Yeah. So i.e. we've gone through this tender process. We, we are your preferred contractor that you'd like to go with. There's still a bit of work to do on the final numbers. Um, there's still further information required, but you want us to start to mobilise. And what I mean by mobilise is that we can then start to start to prepare our programs and works, start to place orders with our suppliers and line our contractors up. So you're lining your subcontractors up. Yeah, lining your subcontractors sure up, making sure yeah, we can start scheduling our um, our site management team, yep. our site set up, and we can start to schedule all of this in. Um, so so we would normally ask at that point for a letter of intent. Yeah, yep. so there's a letter of intent to a given value normally. So the, let's say, for an example, that the project's 250000 Yeah. Um, the, con the, the, the developer has um, said that you are his preferred, but there's still a bit of work to do. 
He wants us to start to mobilize. We say, okay, we'll issue us a letter of intent and that could be to, for an expenditure up to say 50,000 pound yep. with terms and conditions that will meet the contract, which is normally a JCT contract. Yep. Um, terms and conditions that will meet that the, the contract. JCT contracts, presumably your preferred method of, of contracting with a developer? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Um, so, so we would normally enter into, like I say, we'd have then a letter of intent. Yep. Uh, that allows us to start to mobilize. Um, generally what happens when we receive that letter of intent and we say it's going to be two to four weeks before we actually physically start on site. Yeah. So there we start to prepare the programmer works. Uh, but what very what often happens is with a new developer, they're eager to go and they come up with the famous words of, can you make a soft start? Can you make a soft start? Yeah, yeah. you hear that a lot. A soft yeah. start. We hear that a lot. So when we explain to them, we explain that the process that we need to go through, and it may be that we don't know if the building has asbestos, yeah, and we need to get what uh, an R&D survey, uh, so a refurbishment and demolition survey okay. conducted to know if there's any asbestos that we need to, that either need to be removed or we need to be aware of in the building. Ordinarily, on a commercial building, those should be available when someone purchases it. If it's a, if it's been purchased in a commercial building, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But if not, you've got to get that in place before you. Can We've work. got to get that in place. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so quite often, then they say, "Well, you could get on with this, or you could take down this." So this is a soft start. Now, what happens with that soft start is that you've already set the parameters up front of what information you need before you set on start on site. When you opt to please your client in order to strike that relate to, yeah. to, to secure the deal yeah. and start to get off on a good footing with the relationship, so you say, okay, I'll make a soft start. So you're a man that wants to please. You're, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And then you start on site and all of a sudden the expectations that you've raised with the client have all of a sudden they've, they've diminished because the client thinks, well, you're on site, yeah. We, the parameters that we set are the information we need to get to, you're already on site. Yeah, so you haven't been through that mobilization period, like I say, which is normally two to four weeks yes. uh, for us to do a detailed program of works, yeah, for us to appoint our preferred suppliers. We need to, they need to have sight of our program of works so they understand when we need things and what sequence that we need them. Um, the, the, any, there's, there's, a, there's a, during the mobilization period, we go through we collaborate with the client and we will might raise like an RFI, which is a request for information. Yep, yep. So again, this is the process of elimination. So we send it out, the client can come back and this is the dot on the I's and crossing the T's. Um, but once you've already started on site, the client seems to forget a lot of this because you're already on site. And I guess the client's thinking as well as a, as a developer, we could fall into this trap thinking, well, we started our 16 week contract well, the clock's already ticking. You're up against it straight away because you don't have all the information uh, potentially. Ab absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Um, and time's money when you're on site. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's quite often like I I met with a developer last week. Yep. And uh, he he said to me, he said, "Can you deliver this project in 16 weeks?" I went through. I looked at the projects. I said, "Let me go away." And and I've done a, a draft program, a handwritten draft one in my book. And I, and I can deliver the, pro, the project in 16 weeks. Yeah. I then met him back on site last week because he wants to appoint us, which is great. Um, however, on site again, he's saying, can you definitely deliver in 16 weeks? Here's the keys. 
Well, well, no, because I need two to four weeks. Yeah. So if you're so asking he, me, he wanted to, to give you the keys and you start and there we and start. Then. Yeah, because <laughs> it, because there are areas that he sees you can progress work. Yeah. Now what happens there if I take the keys and I start that day in 16 weeks time, it's well, well, you 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 failed to meet our expectations. You told us 16 weeks. We're no, it's 16 weeks on site. Yeah. We have to go through the pre-construction phases. Yeah. Like I said, that the the steps that need to be followed. The process of elimination, so we've dotted the I's, crossed the T's, so then at that point when we start on site, it's just a case of following that programme. So I think what, so what we could sum up on this first point, which is a lack of understanding of the build process of what's required during pre-construction, I think that's how you describe this um, first sort of common thing that new developers get wrong. It's mm -hmm. interesting you use the term newbies. I guess that's a term that um, is coined a lot in the industry by seeing people that come along who don't have a lot of experience, which is unfortunate. So I think one thing I've always said to new developers is try not to come across as a newbie. As soon as someone sees you as a newbie, uh, you know, you're, you're a little bit on the back foot. I know most people are willing to try and help and, and work with people, but it's always better to actually come across as quite professional. So learning, you know, listening to this podcast, people are going to obviously learn a little bit more of the uh, the real importance of pre-construction. So yep. They've heard it from the horse's mouth with no disrespect there to you, Mark, but they've heard it from you that it's a real problem. So it's the, the, the advice here is really understand what the pre-construction process is. If you don't understand, you're going to have a chat with a local contractor. Yeah. Uh, you know, go and talk to CDM contractors. Mark Legg will, I'm sure, be more than happy to, to put you in the right direction. And take it into consideration. So then you, you have a sensible amount of time to get ready for the contract. And then as soon as you get started, you can really get going on the contract. So there we are. That's, um, as I told you, you can talk, didn't I? You certainly can. Yeah, I didn't get a bloomer word in edgeways. Makes a change. Uh, and yeah, really useful guy, Mark. I, I mean, he, um, I mean, Mark started his business, I think, when he was 18. He's only about 30 now. It makes you sick, really. He's obviously young, mm. very, very successful. Uh, very entrepreneurial, uh, you know, really does know a lot about the contracting industry. I've got a lot, lot of time for Mark, and he uh, is a contractor we use on some of our projects. And um, he's very willing to to share as well, which which is terrific. Takeaways from that, top three takeaways. Uh, uh, I mean, I think, I think the first one, many developers don't have a fully thought out plan. That's something that he said. You know, he said they know the purchase price. I think he said they said they know the selling price, but they don't know the bit in the middle. And neither do they know how to get there. And I thought that was um, that was quite enlightening because, you know, we go into it, we take it as red that we do and anyone that we train, they know how to do that. But clearly a lot of people don't. So, you know, they, they've bought it, they know they want to sell it, but they've got no idea how this bit in the middle works. And I thought that was really mm, interesting. Quite so, an important bit as well. Uh, massively important, you know, massively important. And I think the fact that so many people don't know it, I mean, just listening to this podcast you'll now be ahead of those. Even if you don't know how to do it, you know that it's important yeah. and you'll be ahead of a lot of others and go and get yourself educated on that. Okay. So I thought that was uh, that was really important. And that sort of led on to this sort of two phases of construction that he talked about, the pre-construction phase and the construction phase. And as he says, contractors need lots of information to give a really good tender price and developers don't always you know, have enough information. And I think that's uh, something that's always been close to my heart. A lot of developers go out to tender too early with hardly any information. They get a price, and then they wonder why that price changes as they get into the project. And as Mark said, you know, you need a really good set of tender information. He, I mean, he talked about apples and comparing apples and pears and all this sort of thing quite a bit. So, so important. 
I've been there. I've sat and I've looked at four or five tenders that come back, and they're wildly different yeah. in price. Yeah. That's because the information that someone's given out is wrong. You know, I've learned the hard way. I've done it, and I thought that tender was rubbish. Yeah. And, when it, and it just takes you so long to try and work out what actually the position is. Because if you have contractors having to make, make their own guesstimates, you're never going to get the same answer. So I think really important that you understand there is these two phases, this pre-construction phase where you, you've got to get all your ducks in a row. You've got to get all this information. You've got to get all this tender information out in a, in a right form. So when they come back, you can really compare and see who actually, apart from their ability to build it and, and, the, and their availability, who actually has given you the best price. So I thought that was, that was important. Fantastic. Uh, the final thing I think, um, uh, and, and again, I have seen this, and so it's, it's probably not surprising, but it's interesting that he does get it a lot, uh, and Mark succumbs to this pressure sometimes, is this mobilisation period. Yeah. As Mark said, you need two to four weeks. So once you've gone through those tenders and you said, yes, I'd like to appoint you, Mr. CDM Contractors, uh, they, they just don't have people sat on pegs. They don't have plumbers and electricians and plasterers and chippies and whatever all sat on pegs. They can just lift off. No, if it's a good business, they're all working. They're going to mobilise not only their own team but their subcontractors and get them lined up. So anyone who says they can start tomorrow, either they might have just lost a project or they've had a project stop, and that's a genuine reason, or they're just not that good because no one wants to use them. Yeah. So uh, you have to have this mobilisation period where they have to get everything ready. And you remember Mark said in there, he gets encouraged to do this soft start, as he called it, which he just does because he sometimes doesn't want to lose a job, but he really doesn't really gain anything. For anybody. No, yeah. there's no benefit to anyone. They're just sort of almost just tinkering with it yeah. to show that you're on site, but actually they're not on site. It's better to wait a little bit longer and let the contractor hit it um, and do it properly. So I thought that mobilisation period was uh, was really important. So the three things for me is, is um, you know, have a proper thought-out plan, understand the bit in the middle, which is all about the cost, Really understand the tender process and the pre-construction phase and, and don't squeeze the contractor's mobilisation period. Fantastic. That's great, Richie. Many thanks. And thanks also to uh, to Mark from CDM Contractors. Uh, we'll certainly be hearing more from him again in a later episode. Unfortunately, that's all we've got time for in this episode. Do join us again next time when we'll be giving you the inside track on another part of the property world. In the meantime, feel free to check out our other episodes and you can visit our website, which is at propertyceo.co.uk. But until next time, it's goodbye from us both. Goodbye.